A few months ago now, I did something that I was in much need of doing. Uh, something that maybe you do every year, maybe you do it every couple years. It had been four or five years since I had done this. And that was, I needed to upgrade my cell phone. I was rocking an old iPhone, and it was like slow as all get out. And, but I kept that thing alive, boy. I put a new screen on it like four different times. I replaced the battery. I replaced a little earpiece speaker, because I was like, I'm gonna let this thing live until it's a great-great-grandpa. And then it was a great-great-grandpa, and one day it just died. Something on the motherboard gave out, and it was gonna be a couple hundred bucks to fix it. And I was like, it's not worth it. It's just not worth it. Uh, so I got a new phone. So I got a brand new iPhone 8. Yeah, I know, like, you phone people are like, that's not even new. Yeah, forget you. I, I didn't have one. It was great for me. I loved it. And it was, it was awesome. And I remember for the first couple of days, like, dude, this thing is awesome. It's so much faster than my old phone. And, like, it, the screen works better because it's the actual screen, not the knockoff one I got on Amazon that put on myself. Like, it was brighter and great, and the battery lasted longer. It was awesome. It was great until my buddy sent me this text message. And I don't know if you've seen these, these commercials that at Apple has had, but it's like uh, these emoticons that, like, talk and like it, it, it maps your face and like you can talk and make the little cartoon, little emoticon talk with you. And he, he sent me this video of him as a talking unicorn. And he was like, hey man, what's it doing? His face was doing all kinds of funny stuff. I was like, yes, I have the new iPhone. I wanna, I wanna do that. So I went to go send him one. And guess what I found out? Can't do that on an iPhone 8. No, no, mine's too old already. I, got, I just got it, just got it. I can't sing, send the talking unicorn. And I was so bust, like, like sad and so, you know what I wanted? I wanted an iPhone X. I want it right now. I don't want an eight anymore. I want to send the talking poop emoji or whatever it is that's so exciting. Like I wanted to do that and I couldn't do it anymore. Isn't it funny how quickly we go from being in love with something to being, I wish I had a new one? It happens all the time. And we've got a phrase for it. We say the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. You've probably heard it. If you haven't ever heard it before, you're gonna start hearing similar phrases all over the place. It's, it's very common. It's been around for a long time. Uh, smart people who know things on the internet. I looked this up this week, and they said this. They said that this basic idea, this phrase, this idiom has been around for thousands of years. And the oldest English copy of this phrase that we have, uh, we get from 1545, and it went like this. The corn in another man's ground seems even more fertile and plentiful than does our own. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the corn in another mountain's ground. You feel, and, and, and then in the 1920s, there was a song that came out. I've checked it out on YouTube. Totally recommend you put it on your playlist. It was called The Grass is Always Greener in Another Fellow's Yard. And um, I think that's what really stuck it to our modern mindsets. And we, we hear that. And today, I don't know so much if it's, uh, you know, the, the, the corn in another man's ground or, uh, or the, the grass is always greener in another fellow's yard. It, it's more like the smartphone in the other kid's pocket is nicer than the one in my pocket or the car in my buddy's driveway is shinier than the car in my driveway. Or this is my favorite one. I wish I had abs like that. Like that's the one, that's the one you might more be familiar with. But the point is the same. The point is the same. We, we get into a mindset of something that we just think that things could be better. Like I could have more, I could have, and it's not always material things, sometimes it's deeper things. The, the truth is, advertisers prove this to us every year by making billions of dollars off of us, proving us that we're right. We, you need a better thing, and let me tell you where you can buy it. Um, and I got one, and you can have it. We have this like unstoppable desire to upgrade. Everything's got to get better all the time. We're just never satisfied. We're never content. So today on Easter, we're starting this new teaching series. And, and the whole idea, the grass is greener, discovering the secret to contentment. 
is so vital, and I think it ties right into what Easter is all about. We're going to get there near the very end of my talk today, but it's, it's this. I think that everything that happens with us on a surface level, and let's be honest, being able to send talking unicorns is is pretty shallow in terms of depth of like what I need in my life. But everything in this dissatisfaction, this discontentment mode of our life, it's got its roots in something deeply spiritual. Because there's something going on inside of us that says, I need more, I gotta have better, things aren't good enough, I gotta move forward with something to upgrade. And so, no matter if it's for you looking at, and your grass isn't as green as your neighbor's grass, or maybe for you it's you're trying to fit into those pants from 1994, First of all, if that's you, can we just, let's have a talk. Get some new pants. Like, let that go. You don't need to hold on to those old dreams. Like, be you, be who you are. But more so, I think there is an ability that God gives us to have so much joy in the life that we have now, even though sometimes it's not great, even though sometimes stuff hits the fan and we just got to deal with it. Then on the other side of that, we can go, wow. There's contentment to be found. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be facing it head on. Some of our most uh, deepest discontentments. Uh, Next week, we're going to be talking about our identity. Identity is a word that floats around a lot in a lot of different contexts in our culture. And I think the big picture is, is like being content in my own skin. So everything from like, I don't know, body shaming, that's a thing, you know, all the way to bigger things like my identity and my purpose and, and what, is there a God who actually loves me? Like identity, that, that's next week. And then the third week, listen, you don't want to miss this week. It's, it's dealing with probably our biggest discontentment, which is our stuff, material stuff. You don't want to miss the third week of the series because I think it's going to walk us into some tools that can make us wake up in the morning and be like, nah, I'm pretty good because of what God has given us and some things we can learn from the Bible. And then we'll wrap up the series in the fourth week with a lesson that may be even more necessary than that. And it's finding contentment when things just are not right. And that's discussing pain and suffering in the world. In fact, pain and suffering are some of the number one reasons why people will refuse to be Christians or believe in God, because it's hard to accept that there would be a God who claims to love us, yet there's still pain and suffering in the world. And we're going to talk about that in our our fourth week in this series. But this week we're laying foundation. This week we're taking a look at a passage in the Bible from a guy who says this audacious thing. He claims to have discovered the secret to contentment. Pretty big claim, but I think he nails it. Uh, If you got a Bible, let's go and flip over in a Bible. We got free Bibles we'll give away. There's a shelf over here by this black curtain. Feel free anytime during the service to go grab one or get one before you leave today. That's fine too. We want everybody to have a good readable Bible to check out and and have in their life. Uh, Look it up on your phone, whatever. Uh, But we'll be in the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament of the Bible. That's the last third of our English Bibles. And it's the section of the Bible that teaches us about Jesus and it teaches us about the church. So we'll be in Philippians. Philippians was written by a guy named Paul. Paul was an apostle. He was one of the early leaders of the church, and he actually started most of the early churches that we read about in the Bible. And when we find Paul, uh, we're going to be in Philippians 4, and as you turn there, I want to kind of give you some background on where Paul is. Philippians chapter 4. Paul is in a rough spot. He's in a place where he is easily should not maybe be content by worldly standards. Uh, First of all, you need to know he's writing this letter from prison, under house arrest. He's in jail for his faith, which that's a big story. He's actually there, and he doesn't have to be. He's actually already been kind of acquitted of his, of his crime that was put against him, but he was so uh, gung-ho about being able to share the gospel within the system of the Roman government and hopefully eventually get to see the Caesar that he was like, you know what, I would like to appeal my case to a higher court. It's awesome, but he's still there. He's like, and he's not being able to do the thing that he set out to do, which is to go out and start new churches and, and be with people. He is under house arrest, and I, I've had friends who've been under house arrest, and it, it, 
it's, you might think, well, that's way better than going to jail. And, and it is, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. But you're still just kind of a prisoner right there where you are. And so he's got guards with him. And he easily, we could say, dude, if you want to, you can be discontent. But let me tell you some more about Paul's life up to this point. Paul had been run out of town on a rail many times because of the message he was teaching about Jesus. On several occasions, people tried to murder him. On one specific occasion, he had stones thrown at him till the, the passage reads that he, that he was dead. It depends on how you read the passage. Some believe that he actually did die and that was miraculously came back to life or that he at least was like so badly beaten that it was like he was dead. More recently, as he was a prisoner, he was being transported on a ship, and that ship got in a bad storm and got in a wreck, and he almost died on that island. And, and then we find Paul. Okay, so if anybody gets to throw a pity party, it's someone who's lived a life like this. And when we find Paul, he is, he, he's going to raise his head up out of this hot mess, and he's going to give us some teaching on what he calls the secret to contentment. And so let's read it. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 4. He says this, rejoice in the Lord. Always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, pause. Look at the words on the screen. These don't sound like the words of someone who is venting about their terrible life and how they wish they weren't in jail, do they? It's a little bit incongruent. In fact, you almost have to go back and be like, is this the same guy? Like, maybe it's just someone's letter got mixed up in the mail and it's just... No, it is. It is. He says rejoice. In fact, um, this book is often called the joy letter or something along those lines. I think it's something like 14 times in the book of Philippians. Paul says the word joy or rejoice or talks about joyfulness and, and joy is there. And so what it shows us at least is that he has found some sort of mindset that allows him to see through the mess he's in, the pain he's in, the inconvenience he's in and find some sort of joy. And so uh, there you go. Rejoice in the Lord. Let's keep going. Verse 5. This is his teaching to the people he's writing to and to us. He says, and let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And this, this is all good stuff. This is really good stuff. Just leave that up there for a minute. This passage it was huge for me in my life. About six or seven years ago, I, I hit a period where I just, I hit some depression that's not always easy for me to talk about to a place where I was like, it was just debilitating. I didn't want to get out of bed. Uh, I didn't want to do, I felt like, you know, forget it all. I don't want to do any of this anymore. Uh, I won't get into my story, but just know I, I ended up going to, to counseling for it. It was something that, you know, my, it affected my whole family. It was, it was hard. And through the tools I got in counseling and through the prayers and through the love of my wife and my family and, and largely because of the things I learned from this verse, I can stand here on the other side of that and say I got some tools to deal with it and it helped me. And so I want you to know this is, this is real stuff. It helps real people do real stuff. And the things he says here are huge. And a couple, I just want to break it down. Let, let's just look at the, the next little slide there. He, he breaks it down. And the, right before verse 6, he says this phrase. He says, the Lord is near. The Lord is near. Oh, man, that, that was comforting. Sometimes in our lowest points, whether we're in depression or anxiety or we're dealing with some other emotional thing or it's just discontent, it, it's so nice to know that you're not alone. And God wants us to know that he is near. But then he keeps going. He says, don't be anxious. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
This is about prayer. But more specifically, specifically, like we're, we're not straight into Paul's secret to contentment yet, but it's really leading into it. It sets us up nicely. Paul suggests something here. Um, he says that here's a practical exercise. Replace your anxiety with thanksgiving. Replace your fear with thanksgiving. Replace your doubt with thanksgiving. Replace your, your discontentment with thanksgiving because something begins to happen there. And this is part of finding the contentment thing. If we can learn to take our focus off the things that we're discontent with, and we can place our focus on something that we're thankful for, it's a game changer. Like it looks like, you know, well, the grass is greener on the neighbor's yard, but I've got these great pine trees, and they're giving me some shade when it's sunny. Like maybe you really wanted green grass, but what do you have that's helping you out? And so more practically, it might look more like, you know, the money would be so much better at that job. I just wish I got that job. I didn't get that promotion. I didn't get what I want. But you know what? In the situation I'm in, I've got more time to spend with my family. And that's a blessing. Or maybe for you, it's, it's you know, I am over it with the relationships in my life. And maybe it's because I don't feel like I can get out like I used to. I don't feel like I can be the person that I used to be. I couldn't, whatever. I can't. But you know what? I could say, I wish I had the life I used to have or the life I wish I had. But you know what I do have? I got this great book that I can read in my bed at night, and I had a meal today. That's not nothing. And I got my favorite pillow. <laughs> and look, it might seem like that's trite or those are small things, but when you start adding up the blessings, I got a challenge for us all this week. I want to challenge you to do something. Seriously, we have note paper over here. If you like don't have paper at home and that's why you don't want to do homework, uh, we have paper. You can take the pen right out of your seat. I want you to do this. I want you this week to sit down and I want you to write down 20 things that you're thankful for. Simple exercise, 20. And I really encourage you, if you live in a house with other people, do it with them or at least share your notes, especially if you have kids. That's awesome. The first two, three, four are going to be pretty easy. Thankful for my spouse. That's awesome. Thankful for my job. But like the middle 10, they get harder because you're like, well, I mean, I don't know. That's pretty much everything. But then like you get into this and that's why you, it's good to do it with other people because they can remind you of what you have to be thankful for. And then when you get higher up and the more numbers, it starts to become more easy, easy because you can start to see, oh my goodness, all these, every little thing. And it begins to add up. And here's the, here's the major thing that happens in our brain. You remember that thing you were so stressed about, that thing you're so anxious about, the thing that you're so discontent in, the thing that you hated? You're not thinking about that anymore. But it's not just the power of positive thinking. He says we do this in prayer and petition to God. That when we approach God and God says, yes, bring me all of your heartache, bring me all of your needs, tell me about it. But when we do that, we do it with thanksgiving. Lord, I'm dealing with this, I'm struggling with this, I'm trying to even figure out what it means to pray, God. I am thankful that I had lunch today, so thanks for that. And maybe that's all you can think of. But suddenly our focus shifts from all the things that are wrong to understanding that the Lord is near and that he has blessed you with something. And we all have something that we can look into and find God. And then he says this in verse 7, something happens. If you do that, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. That sounds an awful lot like contentment. That when we begin to look at the life that God has allowed us to have, we can step back and go, man. And there's so much more I can say about that, but we've got to keep on going. Verse, verse 8, we hit this thing. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, 
whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Again, we're talking about peace, finding this wholeness, this contentment. If you've ever tried to stop a bad habit, maybe you've uh, tried to give up smoking, and there's things that people say, well, you should do this while you, and one thing they say is like, uh, you know, chew gum or hold on to an ink pen all day or something. You know, it's like a thing. And, and what you're doing is you're beginning to replace the thing that you don't want to do anymore with something that, that's okay. And it's even better when you replace it with a, a healthy habit. And so, again, this is a, a really good, this is just therapy. We're doing it as a group today. And it says, you know, here's what you can do. You need to focus your mind on something else. This is some things you could focus on. The pure, the noble, the right, the lovely, the admirable, the excellent, the praiseworthy. He says, think about these things. Finding contentment is super hard in our life because we're focused on things that don't have the power to fill us up. I sat down and I made this list myself this week. I wanted to say, what are the things that I focus on a lot of times? And these are the things that are often my focus. Whatever is fun. Whatever is going to get me ahead. Whatever is convenient. Whatever fits in my schedule. That's what I'm going to do. Whatever is popular. Whatever makes me feel good. And first, we got to understand that those things are mirages. I mean, fun is good, and, 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 and pleasure is, is awesome, and popularity works, and, and, and convenience is a great thing, um, but fun is temporary, and convenience is relative. What's convenient for me is, may not be convenient for someone else. That's kind of the whole point of convenience. It's about me. And popularity is a matter of opinion, and good feelings eventually get numb, and you have to find something else that makes you feel good. These things do not fill us. They're temporary. They're a mirage. Now, I want to make this clear. God gives us every good and perfect gift. I think fun was God's idea. <laughs> I think convenience is something he gives us good brains to figure out. He's like, don't work harder, work smarter, you know? And like, this is, God gave us all these good things. It's not bad to have fun or be in, be, have convenience in our life and, and, and do things that are, you know, feel good. Like, those things aren't all bad in and of themselves, but they will not fill us. And if we only focus on those things and we can isolate our minds into saying, this is what I need to make my life complete... We're going to fall on our faces every single time. It's not going to work. But you know what does last? The noble, the right, the pure, the lovely, the admirable, the excellent, and praiseworthy things. They last because they have the power to stick around because these are the things that builds character in us and allows us to reflect the character of God in our lives. That's why he says that. These are some things. And so let's keep reading. In verse 10, we're getting closer to the secret for contentment, but already we got some great stuff. Verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced gladly in the Lord the last time you renewed your concern for me. There he goes again, rejoicing in jail. Uh, remember, he's in prison, and there's some people in this place called Philippi that he's writing to. They, they were concerned about him. If you've had friends that were in jail, you've maybe been concerned about them. And so he says, that's, that's great. I, I rejoiced greatly when you were concerned about me, and keep reading. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content Whatever the circumstances, here it comes. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty 
or in want. And here it is, the secret to contentment, verse 13. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. We gotta camp out. Let's just leave that verse right on the screen because we gotta camp out of this verse. Um, it's a powerful statement. It's one that, I mean, you've probably heard before, even if you maybe haven't read the Bible a whole lot. I mean, athletes and musicians and celebrities, they quote it all the time, and it's just like this thing. And, and here, here's the thing. It's a very popular scripture. It's probably right up there with like, the Lord is my shepherd and John three sixteen, and I can do all things through Christ to give me strength. A lot of people are like, that's my life verse. It's also, I believe, maybe one of the most taken out of context verses in the entire Bible. It is widely misapplied and mistaught because the way that this verse is often understood is you can do anything you want to do because God said so. That's how we hear this verse. I can do all things in Christ that gives me strength. You can do whatever you want to do. Just God said do it. And I see it live on stage when I've seen celebrities accept awards in the name of God who gives them strength. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that your actual career is based around sinning. And so I'm pretty sure that giving God honor with your life isn't your biggest priority, but it's convenient for us to quote that verse because it, it just makes us feel spiritual, doesn't it? I can do all things. That's not, I believe, what this verse means. It sounds cool. Paul's not just giving a motivational speech here. And it might sound like he's just talking about like the power of positive thinking, because remember, we just talked about focus on positive things. Don't po focus on things that are empty and, and focus on wholesome things. But that's not all there is to this, this idea. See, what Paul is talking about is power. Things that actually have power, specifically the power of Jesus. I can do all things through him. He's talking about Jesus. He already said Jesus in the previous uh, couple sentences ago. Through him who gives me strength. Let's look back at what we just read. So first notice, we'll look back at, at uh, verse, what was that, uh, 12? He says in verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. So like, regardless of how he was doing economically or materially or physically, Paul's like, look, I've been there. I've seen this, the pendulum swing on both sides of it. But there's something deeper to finding contentment than just having or not having. In fact, there are some groups who say the secret to, you know, finding God is to let go of everything in the world, move off to a monastery and eat bugs and grass all the time. And that's all. It's not, it's not about the material. It's not about the physical. And it took me a few times reading this this week because I read that passage like, that's great. That'd be a great way to open the series. And then I read it and I'm like, I'm still not sure what it means. I don't know what the secret to contentment is, Paul. You said you discovered the secret and then you said it and I don't really know how to apply that to my life. You can do all things through Christ that gives you strength. That's great. What about me? Because um, I don't know what that means. And so I really struggled and, and read through it and I think I landed on a big thing. I think what Paul is saying, first of all, is it is not physical stuff that brings us contentment because the things of this world cannot fill us. That's the first thing he wants to get out of the way. I've had plenty. I've had nothing. That didn't matter. But I've discovered the secret to contentment. That's why thousands and thousands of years worth of people have had this continuing phrase. Because physical stuff can't fill us. They, my, my, the, the corn is not as fertile in the other man's ground and all this stuff. Like, there are countless celebrities and, and, and rich and famous people who have been gone on record as saying, you know what, I got it all. But I still feel empty. I still don't have, I feel like I need more. So it's clear that physical, material things are not going to complete us which comes to, I think, Paul's major thing. So I kind of reworded what he said and put it in a way that helped me make sense of it, maybe to help you. I think he's saying, it's only in having Christ in my life 
that I can get through it all with joy. Like if I have Christ in my life and I really make that the center of who I'm doing, how my family operates, what my schedule looks like, how I spend my money, how I spend my time, how I build my relationships, if I can put Christ at the center of that, it's only in doing that that I can make it through all this. Not that I'm gonna be rich and famous, not that I'm always gonna be happy, but when I'm in the pain, when I'm in the pits, when I'm in the bad places, the Lord is near. I'm not alone. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead that we celebrate on Easter is alive in my life. I can find contentment in that. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It doesn't mean I've got a free pass to do whatever I want, whatever I dream about, just because God said it's okay. What it means is because of who Christ is and because of what he did, I can make it through. And that's a big difference. And that shines a whole new light on contentment. It's Easter Sunday. Why in the world do a teaching on contentment on Easter Sunday? Shouldn't we just open up the book of John to chapter 20 and just read the passage where Jesus raises from the dead and the people find him? That's great. I've done that before on Easter. Why contentment? What's the connection? Why even? I think it's in this. I think it's because Easter is the celebration of Jesus offering us life. Easter is a celebration of Jesus giving us the opportunity to have a life where we don't have to constantly be looking over our shoulders or over the next horizon for something else to fill us up. He offers us a life that's complete in and of itself. You come to me, you live for me, you bring me your burdens, you bring me your joys, you bring me your successes, you bring me your struggles, you bring me your doubts, your hopes, your fears, all of it. Just bring it to me. Make me the center of how you're living. Model your life after the way that I taught and lived then you can have life. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus is teaching at this time about, uh, he's talking about this, this, this thief that he compares to uh, like, a, like a shepherd coming into our life and posing as the, the shepherd, like we're the sheep and this, this kind of false shepherd comes in and he's kind of posing as the shepherd, but none of the stuff he promises can he deliver on. He's, he's a liar. And so this is what Jesus says in John 10, 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that's what happens when we start to put our focus on other things that aren't God himself. But he says, but I have come that you can have life and have it to the full. Life isn't always perfect. I don't have to tell you that. <laughs> you know that. Paul himself knows it as good as anybody. But true contentment comes from having spiritual wholeness because we know God's love for us through Jesus. That is the message of Easter. That's what it's about. And that's why we even do church in the first place. Because Jesus loved us enough to come here. He gave his life. He rose from the dead. Paul himself says that if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, this whole stuff is a waste of our time. <laughs> There's a lot of cool things we could be involved in. But it's this new life, this resurrection life that he promises us that, that makes Easter what it is. Paul says, I've discovered the secret to being content in every and all situations. And we see that the secret to his joy and his contentment is 100% rooted in Jesus' work on the cross. I want to read you a couple of the passages from Paul just to kind of, man, celebrate what God did for us. This is from 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses 1 through 11. It's a pretty big chunk, but man, I'm just going to let Paul speak for himself. This is why Jesus, this is why Paul finds hope. This is why Paul is able to joy, joyfully celebrate while he's in jail and he's writing these people. 1 Corinthians 15, 1. Paul says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you 
of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise, you've believed in vain. Gospel is a word there that it means the good news of, from God. And so he's going to explain what the gospel that he taught was here in verse 3. What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. Here it is. This is key tenets. If you're here today and you're curious what do Christians believe, if they don't believe this, they're not Christians. This is what Christianity is. He says this. I received this. I pass it on to you as first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is also Peter, and then to the 12. And then after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Why is he saying all these names? Because he's saying, listen, people saw Jesus alive, over 500 of them. I love that he says to these people, look, some of them are still alive. In other words, he's challenging them. Like, look, if you don't believe me, go talk to them. They saw him too. Go talk to them. We weren't like group hallucinating. We all saw him at different times in different scenarios. Verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last he appeared to me as to one I've normally born, for I am the least of the apostles. And do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That was, that was Paul's job before he became a Christian. He was a religious terrorist. He like killed Christians for their faith. But then he met Jesus and it totally changed his life. And he, he goes on to help change the world by planting churches all over the Mediterranean region and writing the majority of our New Testament. That's the power of Jesus in someone's life to change them and to turn them over into someone who can change the world for, for God's light. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach. And this is what you believed. That is what Christianity is. That's what the church should be about. And that's why Easter is the pivotal time on our now you know, American Christian calendars to remind us why we're all here. Because it's really easy for us to get focused on the the you know, peripherals of, of church. What kind of good service do they do in the community? That's great, because we've got to shine the light in Jesus with our lives. And, and, and do they have a good children's program? And I hope their preacher's good, and, and the band's got to sound a certain way. I don't like that newfangled music. I don't like the traditional music. Oh, man, do they have a carpet? Well, they need to get a new carpet, and I need to pick the colors. And like on and on and on the list goes. But that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is new life in Jesus. That's what Christianity is. And that's what Paul's celebrating. And that's why in jail he could sit in there and go, I found the secret to contentment. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We are not a society of grace. We're not graceful with each other. Man, that neighbor one time fussed at me because my dog got in their yard and pfft, like, you don't even talk to that neighbor anymore. We're done with them. God is a God of grace. He knows we're not perfect. He sees everything that we do. Nothing's hidden from him. Yet he comes down and says, but I want to be in your life. I don't want you to be alone. I want to fill you. I want to give you purpose. And I want to help you find the life to the full that only I can offer. Will you please give your faith to me? Trust me with the rest of it. He makes us an offer to take our old busted mess and trade it in for brand new life. A clean slate, a fresh start. First Peter 1.3, I love this, especially in connection with Easter. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I am so thankful for Easter. Not because of the eggs and the bunnies. Honestly, that's kind of weird to me. I don't get it. But 
because of the new life that Jesus offers me, because I'm like y'all and Paul, I mean, I'm busted. Without Jesus, I'm, I'm just a mess. I'm separated from God by my own choices. But because of Jesus' resurrection, he offers me the same new life. This is where I want to wrap up today. This is the Sunday when people come to church. We come on Christmas because the children sing in a choir. We come on Easter because we like pink shirts. We love to come out on Easter. It, I don't know. It's, it's part of our culture. We come to church on, on Easter. And I don't know everybody's story in the room. I'm not even going to presume to know the story. But I got a feeling that, that, that we're in a lot of different spiritual places in our journey right now. Let's not pack up the Easter decorations the way we pack up Halloween decorations. Like, Halloween is like, you know, it's cool, and then we do Halloween, and it's over. We're moving to the next thing. And there's a lot of holidays like that. Easter is a celebration we can have every single day. In fact, it should get bigger and bigger in our lives every single day. Don't pack it up after today. Don't make today the only day this year you come to church. And I'm not just trying to keep you so we can set up more chairs every week. I help set up these chairs. I don't want to set up more chairs. <laughs> well, I will for you and your friends. Come back to church because you want the life that God offers. Maybe for you, I'm going to put out some options. Here's some things that I want to encourage you to do. Maybe for you, you just got a lot of questions about God. You know, a great thing you can do, just come back next week. We do this every week, every single week. Here's another thing. This is really cool. Maybe you got a lot of questions. I said a minute ago, this guy, Jesus, lived and died and rose from the dead. That's crazy, by the way. I recognize that. I recognize that people don't rise from the dead normally, okay? But I believe that it happened, and there's good reason to believe it. We have a class that we offer uh, twice a year called Venture Basics. I mentioned it earlier this morning. And in our class, we spend four weeks discussing some of those big questions. We spend almost an entire class period talking about, did Jesus really raise from the dead? I want to encourage you. It starts May 5th. It's a few weeks away. We've got a sign-up sheet on this table. It's a free class, and out of it, you get some books and some resources. Maybe that's a step you want to take. Just learn and grow. Maybe a step you need to take is you've been thinking about this for a while. Every single conversion in the Bible, the person almost immediately goes to the water and gets baptized. Maybe you've never been baptized. The Bible teaches us in Acts chapter 2 that when we have decided that we need to turn our lives back to God, Peter teaches, he says, repent, which means turn your life back to God, and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. So maybe you'd like to get baptized. Maybe that's a decision for you. Uh, you know what? I'd love to do it today. What better day to do that than on Easter? Maybe you've been doing church for a while, and you just need to be reminded, I can do all things through Christ who resurrected and gives me new life. I don't know if the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but I can tell you this. Without Jesus, you're gonna keep on looking for something to fill you up. Let's pray.